0: Stockout. This is your show at Freightways for all things related to the CPG and retail industries. I'm one of your hosts, Mike bowden distel joined by Grace Sharkey. Grace, good to see you. It feels like we haven't done one of these in a while.
1: No, it has been. It was quite some time. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see you too. Happy to, to be back here. And I, we got a lot to talk about today. So, that's the positive thing about this, this long-term wait.
0: Exactly. A lot to talk about. So, a few of those things are going to be J.B. Hunt's earnings, they kicked off earnings season last week. I'll talk about that. They're always kind of a bellwether in the space. Um, I'll talk about the improving consumer sentiment maybe. Um, Also update on the CPG pricing, some interesting things there. Update on the Kroger-Albertson's merger, uh, which I still think is going to happen. And then you have some uh, information on packaging trends, so putting the P in CPG. Before we do that, um, I want to make sure everyone knows how to sign up for the Stockout newsletter. Uh, pretty simple go to freightwaves.com forward slash the stock out or freightwaves.com forward slash subscribe and subscribe to all of them but um you know ours is the best so go to newsletters at the top first one under supply chains uh the stock out there um happy to have you as part of that community we try to be in your inbox once a week wednesday thursday sometimes friday depends on what else is uh, going on in the world of data uh, and freight Um, so with that i'll go into our first uh, topic which is J.B. Hunt reported earnings uh, last week. I'm not going to go through this like a stock analyst would. Um, I'll just talk about some of the highlights. And I think there were really sort of two highlights for me. They highlighted the improved intermodal volume, so improved freight demand, including intermodal, which has improved throughout the year. Seems to be pretty strong going into 2024. Uh, And also they talked about rate pressure in intermodal specifically and uh, some of the numbers behind that have a sonar chart on, on loaded um, containerized intermodal volume which is right in uh jb hunt's uh you know market there it is so this is going to be 53 foot containers primarily there might be a few 40 foot containers but primarily loaded 53 foot containers which a lot of those are owned by jb hunt and you see towards the, the right side of there that october it really did kind of, kind of have a peak season there so our volume showed that It was up about four and a half percent now jb hunt said their intermodal volume in the fourth quarter was up six percent so that implies you know if our data is right about um 150 basis points of of, um market share gain that jb Hunt had in the fourth quarter and i looked at that actually on a on a a monthly basis because jb hunt talks about that on a monthly basis too and sort of each month their year-over-year change is about 150 basis points better than what we had um in sonar so so very directionally consistent um so i thought that, that was interesting you know going into uh, um uh, january volume seemed to be look look pretty solid another interesting thing there was on the pricing was that jb hunt talks about their rates you know per load down 12.8 percent in the fourth quarter so that's going to include mix which can can have a big impact on intermodal as well as as fuel, which can have a big impact, and then just overall the change of of, of um, intermodal rates, and have a sonar chart on that that shows um, you know what we're kind of looking at, and so you know when you look at um, you know, what we have in 2024, is that white line, and you see it below you know the previous the previous year, that's kind of what we're, we're what we're looking at here um, in terms of. Is starting the year below where it was, uh, you know, the prior year, and and that has a lot to do with just where bids were repriced late last year. There's one CPG company that um, we interact with quite a lot that shares their rates with us, and in their top ten lanes, they were down an average of eighteen percent when you compare their rates without fuel surcharges at the end of 2023 versus the end of 2022, called December through December. So a lot of that's bleeding into the first first half. And so they're expecting uh, J.B. House expecting rates to be lower in the first half versus you know, the first half of um, 2023. Uh, another thing that's uh, you know come up is I think the the as, as a positive thing is the rail service levels have been strong, and maybe the exception to that has been uh, this this latest weather, which is impairing some of the the intermodal um, you know times and and things, but have some ch- have a chart from the STB. So this is from the U.S. Surface Transportation Board is the source of this data, and you can see that this is, and this is BNSF specifically. Which you know, to be fair, they have not had the spike and as much weather as the, the eastern part of the country. But you do still, nevertheless, see a spike um, in uh, trains. Uh, train trains being held. So these are train holding trains holding per day for the type and cause. And you do see a spike up there um, at the right, but nowhere near the type of delays you had in late 20, throughout 2021, throughout the first half of, and really most of of, of 2022. So these seem to be at least pretty manage, manageable for the for the western uh, for, the, for the western carriers. So all that sort of translates to um, you know kind of what what JB Hunts kind of motto is right now is that their volume is a leading indicator, pricing is is a lagging indicator. We're somewhere past the very early stages of a freight recovery, but we're not yet at the point where you're going to see that in in, in rates quite yet. Did you have any thoughts on um, J.B. Hunt?
1: Well, we won't get into it too much on this, but, uh, you know, my brokerage background, I was uh, kind of shocked at their their fall off in the brokerage, or I uh, think they call it the integrated uh, contract services segment or something along those lines. So uh, definitely go check out the article that we had that reviewed this. But I will say positive news, I think, looking at this is, uh, especially with everything we're seeing uh, with, with the Red Sea, the Panama Canal, is that Um, this came up right in our state of freight webinar that I think uh, we'll see more action come to the west coast which I think could be a lot of great news for their intermodal segment and a lot of their investment uh, even with BNSF logistics and some of the services uh, transloading in those areas as well and uh, of course for their intermodal uh, aspect as well so yeah I I think it's uh, I I don't think anyone's surprised by these numbers again like we've seen a lot of this action in sonar uh, here at Freight Waves but uh, I think we'd be surprised if we saw clearly the opposite of what they ended up uh, performing at. But uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to see kind of how they end uh, this year, knowing a lot of that, I think, uh, that freight that's going to end up on the West Coast compared to the East Coast that we saw in in 23.
0: Yeah, a great point there. I mean, when when the freight comes into the West Coast, something like 65 or 70% of that can go intermodal. The eastern consumption centers where it comes in through the east coast were maybe 20 or 25 percent so a big difference there if you just have that that gain in market share in the west coast and then then you're right there really wasn't much of a surprise there the stock didn't react you know much the 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 next day i think maybe it was up one percent or something um so i want to move on to our next topic which is uh sort of conagra's price and mix declined and so this was highly they they reported earnings january 4th about the last time we we did a show like this Wall Street Journal wrote up a pretty extensive article on it, and so when they talk when some of the CPG companies talk about price and mix, they sort of conflate, you know, what the actual pricing is versus the the mix. So you can have a increase in price and mix by selling more, you know, expensive products. You know, and talk about CPG company that sells in the grocery more five dollar products, fewer three dollar products. And so Coniagra was the first CPG company that's reported a down. Price mix. And that's significant because there's just been so much inflation in CPG prices the last few years. So, for ConAgra specifically, 30% inflation in the last three years. I think for some of the other CPGs, it's been even worse than that. But this latest quarter for ConAgra, their price mix was down 0.5%, their organic sales volume down 2.9%. And they talk about how the ingredients are a big part of that, where they're mixed, where You know the margarine, edible oils, which you know are are down. I mean, certainly that's the the edible oils were at an elevated level because of the Ukraine situation. You know, dairy coming down, and then some of the tomato-based products are are up. You know, some of those change with with growing uh, conditions. So there's always this kind of kind of mix of changes in ingredients. But I think we're past the inflation in in CPG. The question is, is this going to be more of a broad you know, decline in CPG prices. Uh, It does seem like the direction of CPG prices from here is down based on what Walmart said on their latest analyst call, also what Costco said on their latest analyst call. Those companies that are making some of their own private labels, they have a pretty good handle on what the costs that go into those products are. And it seems like they've been more aggressive. So um, you think this is kind of the first of, of many.
1: Uh yeah I I agree with you I think uh if anything I, uh, listening to some of these calls and and reading these transcripts I they s- seem more open and almost i don't want to say desperate but there's like a, a tone that's like we're doing our best right to start to get a lot of these prices down they i think they understand like the inflation aspect is starting to die down yeah you brought up uh the margarine aspect the tomatoes are still ha- of course having an issue but i don't think we're seeing it across the board in as many items and as, as ingredients as we've seen in the past so now it's time to figure out that strategy right of how we're going to actually showcase uh that we're bringing these prices down to consumers and again i I think that it's there i think after we again maybe a, a year even a couple quarters go by we'll start to see it a little bit more in pricing uh and i i personally feel like i've seen it even more so uh at the store as well at least uh if it's But what I've almost noticed is like, um, especially on the beverage side, if anything, it's like, if if the total price hasn't gone down, there's some really interesting deals uh, that are happening instead. So maybe we see a mix of that until we, they finally feel a little bit less pain from the actual ingredient side as well.
0: Yeah. So deals like promotions, if you buy two, you get one free, those type of things.
1: Yeah. That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and this relationship between the CPG and retail, it really boiled over in Europe. So two newsletters ago wrote up the Carrefour, which is one of the big grocery chains in Europe, you know, largely French, and Pepsi, where Pepsi said they pulled out, the grocer said they stopped carrying them. Anyway, they couldn't agree on, you know, That's the price right. of snacks and, and uh beverages. But it's 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 rare for something like that to to come to boil the service to that level usually it's a little bit more subtle you know changes in you know promotional activity or changes in placement on shelves or 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 those type of things but but clearly i think they're, they're the 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 cpg committee can concede a little bit because a retailer really conceded a lot i think the last few years with with accepting some of these price increases so um it, it seems like it's shifting back to the retailers not accepting the price increases at this point going forward uh one move on uh speaking of retail uh we do have this um you know pending merger between kroger and alberton's the close date did get pushed back so this was announced in when was it announced october 2022 and now it was expected initially in early 2024 and i was always like well you know it's hard to get things closed when they're supposed to be closed. And that that does seem to be the case here where it's gonna, now they're expecting August close, FTC, Federal Trade Commission is not waiting on it. They're expected to do that next month. And the grocers say that they've done what they needed to do. They've they've divested the 413 stores to the CNS wholesale, which CNS wholesale, you know, wholesaler now getting into the retail side of things. So the the grocers say, we're good. I'm um, sure their, their lawyers which have been looking at this you know long before the deal was announced, you know are, are on that page. So the Federal Trade Commission balls now in their court. they have three options. They could say they could close the investigation, allowing the deal to proceed. They could either ask for additional um, requirements, which could be additional divestitures or could be something else, or they could just take legal action to block this in court, which is what um, some of the most liberal lawmakers would prefer, Bernie Sanders, um, et cetera. But, um, you know, any thoughts on, any any guess as to whether or not, what the, the FTC is gonna do?
1: So if I, do you remember uh, the number that they were willing to divest in originally? Was it the total 413?
0: I'm so I think initially the they, they said it was gonna be something like 300 to 500. They thought they could get the deal done if they divest between 300 and 500 if memory serves and so it's a little bit close to the middle part of the range
1: so i guess maybe part of me is wondering if they come back and ask for a little bit more of that action but at this point it almost feels like uh, will that really make a difference to what they're being sued for and i really don't think so uh will that Mm -hmm. stall possibly any uh issues with smaller brands and smaller uh uh, stores in, in regards to competition. I just, I don't think so at this point. Um, and I just, I feel like the, and it's funny because I remember at this point when we were going over this, we were doing two different shows and I did kind of showcase the argument that uh, the the smaller uh, grocery uh, competitors or those that were uh, afraid of, of course, uh, the, the non-union groups afraid of uh, losing their impact uh, kind of discussing their argument, I just feel like it's not that it's not strong enough uh, in order for the FTC to to tell this deal that it can't go forward. Uh, it feels a little bit uh, last hail mary throw to me personally uh, in in their regard. So uh, I, I I don't think so. I think this will go through in August. Maybe they ask and they um, they let go of a few more stores, divest in a few more stores, but again, I just don't see even that action uh curtailing anything that they're being sued for and again i think it's just kind of this hail mary throw to see if we can stop this deal and now as a (laughs) a betting woman or maybe more betting than i I should be i would i would say this will go through in that august uh, date hopefully it doesn't get pushed back anymore like you said it takes time but I, i think it'll end up closing then
0: yeah, I think it'll close at some point. I think initially the thought was that if they, even if they divested 400 stores, if they divested them, um, you know, 10 at a time to one group, 20 at a time to another group, you had a lot of these little independent grocers, a lot of those could go out of business. And then you, that doesn't really help the end consumer because it doesn't create additional competition. But divesting them all to this is, is very, you know, seems like a very profitable company. This is all you know, you know so much because they're private, but seems like that's a really um, strong competitor that I, I think they have maybe assuaged that concern. Um, I want to move on to another topic here. So retail looks to AI to assist in supply chain management. So John Kingston of FreightWaves, our editor at large, which I guess means he writes about a lot of different things, went to this NRF meeting, National Retail Federation meeting, and they talked to him about AI. And some of the ways the retailers are using this is for demand and inventory forecasting it makes a lot of sense sort of incorporating additional data points into their data forecasting. So things that are, maybe wouldn't have been considered as much, you know, before, um, you know, things like, you know, weather trends and, and, and all of those things. Uh, and there, but there was also this really great quote that he had from Helen Davis, senior vice president of North America operations at Kraft Heinz. And she says, data flows and driving supply chain that can automatically reset itself when there are disruptions is is really sort of the, the key there. Uh, so when there's a disruption, the AI is is sort of what steps in and creates a reset. So I thought that was 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 very interesting. I know you know you follow the technology side of things very well. What what did you um you know, gather from AI and retail? Uh, I, I mean. I-
1: that, that show that he goes to is huge and I can just guarantee that was probably the, the overall main topic that came up. I think AI is going to be huge in just so many different forms and the way it's used. Uh, at one way actually this year at um, a conference I went to in, in Florida, the CSCMP conference, Pepsi actually did a really fascinating presentation on how they're looking to change uh, from using the, the barcode scanner to a new AI focused uh, coding system. That would allow even a consumer to scan this code on their phone and get like a full breakdown of the supply chain what's in it what the packaging is made out of like a, apparently unbeknownst to me before this presentation barcode can can really only do so much holding price etc so it was it was really fascinating to see like as just a, a, a consumer right what it could do from just scanning a barcode and and learning about the product uh that Pepsi or any of its brands uh, has put on those shelves. So I think that will see that should be coming to fruition. I think this year Uh, they started talking about that in like May of last year. Uh, A big one is AI chatbots. I think we're seeing that all over the place for customer service, especially uh, retailers in particular. Uh, A a bunch of makeup brands, uh, even stores like Ulta, Sephora have talked about starting to use AI to create ways for consumers to uh, like apply. Makeup onto their own pictures of themselves, and even try on clothes uh, on when they're uh, shopping online. Uh, marketing is a huge one Amazon has come out already this year, this past year 23, that they are using AI to create the descriptions and uh, use words and, and captivating uh, phrases in order to gauge uh, more volume and, and, and eyes on certain products. Uh, Walmart right now is uh, investing in, uh, their for their furniture unit, like online being able to build out a room, kind of like a Sims type of situation, right? So you can put in your room dimensions and then figure out exactly how uh a a number of items could fit in that room in total uh and i think this all kind of goes back to rising prices like if we are going to be paying more as consumers in in retail or even i mean going to the grocery store and, and with for example pepsi's right uh i think we're fine with that if there's just a better experience coming out of it right like if i'm if i'm purchasing something for more and there's not more product and the quality ingredients etc aren't better either well what's my experience purchasing that product like how are you engaging me as a customer and 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 am i learning right we, we talk about different initiatives when it comes to sustainability so stuff like that so am i able to actually Uh, see that with like the Pepsi example, as soon as I, as I process this, can I see the full supply chain? So I, I know for sure the moment I check out that I'm buying something that's better for the global economy and the environment. So uh, I just, Mm -hmm. I think this will be an area that's simple to invest in that has a really good outcome at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot there. I mean, I always think about just, you know, the more the data that certain retailer collects about an individual consumer, the more they can recommend things, the yeah. more that that advertising is valuable because, you know, if you, you know you buy cliff bars, you know, somebody makes a competing energy bar, that's really valuable for a piece of information because they know that's a consumer that buys energy bars. So they'll probably pay a lot to yeah. get in front of that consumer. They, they might even you know, give them some, you know, box of them for free just as as, as a way to entice them. So you know, lots of, of interesting things there on, on, on AI and uh, technology. Um, so what's new in the world of, yeah. of packaging?
1: Yeah, and I, I love how you put it. So let's put the P back in CPG for sure. Uh, so packaging side, uh, you know, it's interesting. This has actually hit home for me recently. Uh, we've had two closures in Michigan over the last year, uh, one in the last week, actually, at Graphic Packaging, which is a, a fairly large packaging program for C- company for CPGs. They make a lot of, uh, you probably even seen, like coffee cups and that nature uh, created there. Uh, and I, so I started looking into it, and overall, I think this is something we're going to see uh, happening a lot more for 2024 and packaging in particular uh what we start we started to see a number of packaging companies over the last like six months uh letting individuals go but on the other side of that starting to invest in the next couple of years of where their their company needs to be in with that is a lot of pressure on them to start focusing on the what I like to call the full ecosystem of their product, right? Like the from how it's created, what materials it's created from, to even how it potentially is recycled and, and makes its way back into that circle of life, you could say. And uh, uh, for instance, uh, Graphic Packaging uh, came out last year that they're actually building a $1 billion facility in Waco, Texas that's bringing hundreds of jobs, but even multiply that because of the amount of time it's going to take to, of course, build this plant, uh, the different supply chain, right? uh, truckers, uh, intermodal, all these modes that will, of course, be in and out of the area as well. Uh, But in order to do that, to afford that and afford the new equipment that they're looking to put in facilities, they've unfortunately closed a number of facilities across the United States, including two in Michigan, one big one in Iowa, which was actually open for over 100 years. So uh, yeah, a lot of that cost now is going into this new Waco facility. And uh, I think what we're going to see over this next year is, again, a lot of these companies companies focusing on areas that they're going to get hit by uh, when it comes to regulations. So there's uh, four that I, I want to focus on really quick. The post-consumer recycled content. So California actually has a law that's requiring a percentage of post-consumer uh, recycled uh, products used in platforms plastic beverage bottles uh this one as a michigander i love deposit return systems Uh, it it shows that if you of course uh have that incentive there people are going to return as a michigander i return all of my bottles i i sometimes forget that's not everywhere Uh, so you're going to see a boost of of packaging recoverability uh also uh extended producer responsibility i think this is a big one a lot of regulations are going to start pointing the finger at the producers of packaging of being responsible for making sure that these products are going through a recycled full life cycle. Uh, And that's, I think why you're seeing a lot of them starting to invest in, for example, Graphic is investing in their recycled paperboard machine that's gonna convert recycled products to to new packaging. Uh, You also have labeling regulations that you're gonna see on their packaging as well. Uh, And of course, uh, chemical restrictions on, on what's being used to to make certain plastics. So a lot of these packaging producers are going to get the finger pointed to them. Regulations are going to ask them for for more reporting on what they're doing. And I think with that, you're going to see, unfortunately, layoffs in a lot of these spaces, but a lot of investment that I think will pay off. Maybe not this year, but you'll start to see in 25 and 26 for sure.
0: So are those facility closures related to just less volume or is it just a shift from one type of packaging technology to another.
1: It's it's not so much less volume. It sounds like it's more of doing uh, if using their all of their locations in a more strategic manner. So a lot of these, uh, for example, the one in uh, Wyoming, Michigan or Grand Rapids, Michigan, they're offering other jobs to so them. They'd have to move, but there are jobs available to them in other locations. They're trying to condense a lot of their factories into, uh, I guess, more uh, of their other locations. So it's it's kind of cutting off a little bit of the fat and just running a more lean uh, manufacturing uh, a time or or like supply chain
0: gotcha so another industry in flux like so many are Um, but with that um, hope everyone has a great day and thanks for listening